Welcome to Talking for the Health of It with Permanente Medicine. I'm James Boyle, health engagement trainer here at the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. Today, we're joined by Dr. Dakima Dixon to talk about the COVID vaccine that recently became available to children six months to five years old. Welcome, Dr. Dixon. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having me. My name is Takima Dixon, and I am a board-certified pediatrician, and I see members at the South Baltimore Medical Center. I'm also one of the pediatric module leads for our department, which means that I work closely with our PEDS chief as part of her leadership team. Could you talk a little bit about why we're talking about this right now? What, what does it mean that the vaccine is available for um, children six months to five years old? Well, this is such exciting news for so many families who have been waiting to get their youngest family members protected since the beginning of this pandemic. And the big news is that the both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines have finally been approved for use in our youngest, our youngest children between six months and five years of age. And so one of the things that I've been hearing, and certainly lots of folks have been hearing is uh, this question of my child is healthy, why would they need to get vaccinated? What do you say? So one of the widely accepted beliefs since the beginning of the pandemic is that children are mostly spared, that children have mild illnesses and don't really have serious outcomes. And thank goodness that this is most often the case. That said, most often does not mean that it's always the case. And unfortunately, these ever-changing variants that have been coming onto the scene are really sadly changing the disease burden for healthy kids. So in general, I just want parents to just keep in mind that over 2 million children in the U.S. have contracted COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm speaking about children between six months and four years of age. But since the Omicron variant has become the predominant circulating variant, what we've seen is that the rates of admissions, of hospital admissions for children between zero and four years of age has gone up by five times what the prior peak hospitalization rate was. The rates of ICU admissions have also significantly gone up since the Omicron variants have come on the scene. What we also know is that a third of these admissions to the hospital actually happen in healthy children that do not have any kinds of predisposing conditions. And the last just fact that I would like to share is that just to keep in mind that there have been over 400 deaths in the U.S. since late 2020 in kids between zero and four years of age. So I just really want to stress to people that although the risk feels low, low risk is not the same as no risk and healthy children are at risk for severe complications and getting these young kids vaccinated is really our best shot at keeping kids healthy. What other benefits are there to getting your child vaccinated? Getting young kids vaccinated is really the best opportunity for parents to just get their kids back into the socially normal experiences that we've all been able to just take for granted for so long. 
one of the interesting things that came up, you know, when Pfizer and Moderna presented their data to the advisory committees in order to get approval from the FDA and then from the CDC, um, those presentations, these systems are very transparent. They were recorded and they're actually on the internet. Anyone can listen to them, although they're, they're rather long, like three, four hours long. But at the end, it was so interesting. They had a, gave an opportunity for the public to just weigh in. And it was really a unique experience to just hear what the human experience has been. It's, it was a lot of community advocates and just parents talking about what their experiences have been like with their young children. These are toddlers, infants, and young children that really haven't had the opportunity to experience lots of things that older children and lots of things that us as parents and um, as we look back at our, at our childhood, experiences that we were fortunate enough to have. First birthday parties celebrated with family. Even the basic things like going into grocery stores or trips to the toy aisle. These are just lots of small decisions that families have made the decision to opt out of just because they were, they were worried about exposure for their young kids and toddlers who didn't have protection against, against serious complications from COVID. So parents are just yearning to, to, for this not to be their, their life anymore. For the only chance that my child gets to interact is when they have to come to the doctor's office to get shots. That's no fun. And parents are really just looking to get back to, to normal experiences for their, for their kids. And then there's things like MISC and long COVID, which the vaccine has been shown to provide some protection against. And then there's also the idea of what we know that the more people that we get vaccinated, this will just allow us an opportunity to just slow the spread and will provide less opportunity for new variants to pop up on the scene. Are there any instances, any circumstances in which a child should not get vaccinated? Very few. Well, right now we we do not have a vaccine that's been approved for infants less than six months of age. So unfortunately, this is a population who we are not able to vaccinate just yet. But otherwise, what we call contraindications, meaning reasons that it's a hard no for you to get the COVID vaccine. Really the only thing that falls under this umbrella is if you had a severe allergic reaction to a prior dose of a COVID, to a prior COVID dose or to any component of the vaccine. So if you've suffered an anaphylactic reaction to a prior dose, you can't get another dose. That said, there aren't many other hard no's to getting the vaccine, although there are some precautions, meaning if you fall under this umbrella, you may need to have more of an informed conversation with your doctor, maybe see an allergist, and may need a longer observation period after you get your dose. And those would be conditions like, if you've had an allergic reaction to any vaccine before, or if you've ever had an anaphylactic reaction like ever in your life, 
you can still get the COVID vaccine, but even with a history of anaphylaxis ever in your life, but you may need a longer window of observation. If you've had a mild reaction to a vaccine before, you'll need a longer window of observation. And this is specifically to vaccines. I know I've had some questions from families that have egg allergies as to whether they can still get the vaccine with that. No eggs were used in the production of this vaccine. Food allergies is not a contraindication or a precaution. If you've had an anaphylactic reaction, it's a conversation, um, but most likely you can still get the vaccine just with a longer observation period on the other side. And um, if you currently have an illness, which would fall under a moderate to a severe um, umbrella, you can still get vaccinated, but it would make it would be safer to just wait until you're on the other side of your illness before getting it. Um, but really, other than an anaphylactic reaction to a component of a COVID vaccine, everything else is just a conversation and maybe a longer observation. What about kids who are undergoing treatments like chemotherapy? Yes, good question. So then there's the question of children who have underlying conditions that cause them to be immunocompromised. Their immune systems are weaker um, than healthy children. So kids that, um, children that have cancer who are undergoing chemotherapy or are taking medications that may suppress their immune system or just have chronic conditions. And in these scenarios, what we know is that these, this is a subset of children who are at higher risk for having severe illness from COVID. These kids really need the vaccine and immunocompromised children. And there's a very, a very detailed list about kids conditions that fall under this category, not only do they need the vaccine, um, but they would qualify for even more booster vaccines on a schedule to really rev up their immune response to the, to the vaccine to give them extra protection. Another question that parents often have is around the safety, around the, the trials and, and what we know about the safety of the vaccine. And what can you tell us? So one thing that I want parents to keep in mind is that the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines have now been given to hundreds of millions of people across the globe, um, but they did do trials looking at safety for the vaccine in this younger group. So the trials that Moderna and Pfizer did separately um, in the children between six months and five, about 8,000 children, a little bit more than 8,000 children collectively received the vaccine. And what they found is that there were no serious, worrisome adverse effects, which is good news. There were no deaths. There were no episodes of myocarditis or anaphylaxis in the studies that they did. The most common reactions that they saw were things that we anticipate and things that I think that most parents are familiar with from the routine vaccines that their kids already get. They were symptoms like 
local pain at the injection site, which can happen within seven days of receiving the vaccine. They broke it down looking by age and in the two to five-year-old age range, the most common, what we call systemic symptoms that we're seeing were things like fatigue and headaches. In the children that were six months to 23 months of age, the systemic symptoms that they saw were things like irritability and sleepiness. These were symptoms that would start within the first one to two days of getting the vaccine and usually got better on their own within several days. Um, fevers are an anticipated side effect, but um, what they cited in the Moderna trials was that fevers were happened a little bit less often than you see them even with the routine vaccines that children's get children get before the age of two, although fevers did happen. Um, some lymph node swelling is expected in the area. For the younger kids, they get their shot in their thighs, so you can see some swelling of the lymph nodes in the groin area. For the older kids that get it in their arm, you could see some swelling of the lymph nodes in their underarm, but this is temporary and gets better on its own. So the side effect profile was in keeping with what, you, what we see with the vaccines that we are already accustomed to giving, and they didn't see any more serious adverse events in the trials that were completed. So my next question is, if you had children yourself under five years of age, would you feel comfortable getting them vaccinated? Absolutely. Um, I believe in the safety of these vaccines and I have seen the hard data of what the disease burden looks like now with these new variants coming out. And I wouldn't hesitate to get my children vaccinated because I do believe it's our best chance against the risk of serious, serious illness with COVID. My children are older. Uh, my youngest is nine and my second oldest is 12. And as soon as they were eligible, and as soon as my daughter was out of her COVID illness window, um, I took them right in to get vaccinated and felt a sigh of relief, a weight lifted, because I know that they're going to school and school is a place where they're exposed to germs and want to do everything that I can to keep them safe. How does getting your children vaccinate uh, differ from adults? What can uh, parents expect uh, if they decide to get their children vaccinated? We are fortunate enough to have two vaccines that are approved for this younger age group. So there's the Pfizer and there's the Moderna vaccine and the schedule and the dosing are a little bit different for both of them. So for the Pfizer vaccine, it's a three dose series. The dose is 10% of the adult dose. So it's only three micrograms. And the expectation is that because this is a smaller dose, it should be less reactogenic. So the thoughts are that severe side effects should happen less often with infants since it's a smaller dose. Um, so it's a three dose series and the schedule is that you get your first dose and then you come back in three weeks for dose number two and then eight weeks later you receive dose number three. Versus for the Moderna vaccine, it is a two-dose series, and the dose is one-fourth of the adult dose, and it's the two doses essentially separated by, by four weeks. Um, both have been shown to be very effective, so 
there's it's really a matter of which is available within your community and from a timeline perspective, if you have a reason to do one versus versus the other. What can parents expect to experience with their children in terms of side effects? Right. So the side effect profile, it looks pretty similar to what I think many people have experienced after they get their vaccine within one to two days children, these younger children can have some local pain or, I mean, in younger infants, pain oftentimes manifests as fussiness. So you may notice fussiness within one to two days, sometimes with fever, sometimes with some local redness at that injection site. Older kids may seem a little bit more sleepy or may have headaches. Younger kids, it may just look like irritability and a little bit of sleepiness for a couple of days after the vaccine. Um, But all what would fall under the umbrella of mild symptoms that would just require supportive care, meaning some Tylenol or Motrin, if it seems like they're having some discomfort, making sure that you're keeping them hydrated and then just monitoring them for a couple of days. You had shared earlier that uh, your daughter had gotten COVID um, and that uh, after that you had got her vaccinated. Um, Do children who have had COVID still need to get the vaccine? So they do. So what we know is that there's the idea of natural immunity that you expect to come from having a prior infection. And what we know in the face of this pandemic, especially in the setting of these new variants, is that natural immunity, unfortunately, does not offer broad protection against these new variants that are coming on the scene. So really the best way to ensure a longer lasting immune response against serious illness is really to get vaccinated. It's your best hope or best chance at triggering just a longer memory response from your immune system. And you had mentioned uh, there was this window you waited after your daughter um, had COVID before getting vaccinated. How long should parents wait um, after their child um, has COVID to get them vaccinated? So this is a tricky question to answer. In general, the thinking is that you should have some natural immunity for three months after a COVID illness. That said, I I feel like a broken record. I keep talking about these variants, but there have been some studies that have shown that with these newer Omicron subvariants that the reinfection rate, it's reinfections are happening sooner than anticipated. So three months is the standard answer to this question. Um, When the CDC presented the data, the data from the meeting with the advisory committee to the public, this question was asked and answered towards the end of the presentation by a member of the advisory committee. And her answer was that you should wait three months um, from the time that you have an infection. That said, 
what the AAP says when you look at their just frequently asked questions page um, about this new six months to five-year-old vaccine. They say that the benefits of vaccine outweigh the risks of being infected. And ultimately, these should really be informed choices for parents to have with their pediatricians, depending on what community rates are, depending on what kind of predisposing conditions your child may have, and depending on what a parent feels is their personal urgency. Um, for me, in thinking about my daughter, I mean, the one hard rule is that if you have a COVID illness, you should wait until you're outside of your 10-day isolation period before you bring your child in. And that's what I did. As soon as my daughter was out of her window, I wasn't waiting three months. I just bought her in and said, you're going to have a whole lot of protection for as long as I can keep you protected. So once she was not contagious, I bought her in to get her vaccine. And what are other things that parents can do to keep their kids safe in addition to vaccination? So from a keep your child safe from COVID perspective, I think it's really important for parents to know what your current community rates are. The CDC has so many just great tools on their website, and they have a community rates dashboard um, that you can plug in your county. And so, for instance, right now, I know that Howard County has high rates so much so that although masks have been considered optional, my kids just started camp this week and the camp instructor sent a mass email out saying, we are reinstating our mask mandate for all indoor activities. To which I said, thank you so much because I know that rates are high and I know that masks are one additional mitigation strategy that we have in our tool belt. So I would say understanding your community, what your community rates are, and if your community is in a medium or high rate range, you should put those masks on, especially when you're indoors. Um, but otherwise, I would say from a perspective of just keeping your children safe against all there is that we can protect them against, make sure that your kids are vaccinated against all of the preventable illnesses that we are able to protect them against. I want parents to just keep in mind that if they are keeping to the recommended vaccine schedule, we're able to protect children against 14 serious life-threatening illnesses before they turn two. So make sure that your children are up to date with their vaccines. And this is also important because there are illnesses that had once upon a time been eradicated, but that we're seeing returning to circulation because some families have vaccine hesitancy when we know that vaccines are, are safe and are another way to just save lives and protect, to protect our kids against serious illness. Where can parents go for more information on the vaccine? So I know that oftentimes we get our information from however the internet finds us on our phone, whether it's 
things that come through on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever your chosen social media outlet is. That said, there are reliable and trusted sources that I would prefer to direct families to. So I would ask that whenever families are reading personal stories to just always just take a moment and just ask yourself, is, is this a reliable source? Is, is this something that I can say is an evidence-based source? We always talk about evidence-based medicine. So these are the sites that I want families to go to because I feel like they are trusted. I know that the information on these sites is, is vetted. Um, so the CDC, I've mentioned, it's, it's ground zero as far as sources for reliable information about this pandemic, about community rates. They have a really great calculator that helps you figure out if you have a certain scenario of a COVID exposure, what are the steps that you need to take? They have a really great calculator that helps you problem solve around that. For children and for parents who are looking for information really about any kinds of health health information, but also about COVID and COVID, the COVID vaccine and the American Academy of Pediatrics, healthychildren.org website I, is, is a go-to resource for me when I'm looking for information that's very user-friendly to share with families. I lean on heavily on that website and the information that I find there. But the last resource that I would love for parents to refer to, especially if you have any hesitancy around routine vaccines, I would really ask anyone listening who is on the fence to just do a deep dive into the history of some of these really serious illnesses that we no longer see anymore. A lot of the vaccines that we give just don't really feel relevant to families because vaccines have done such a good job of eradicating these illnesses that it just doesn't feel relevant. But when vaccine rates start to drop, these, these illnesses start to circulate again. So I would really love as a last resource to share with members, CHOP, um, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, CHOP is the acronym. If you Google CHOP and Google their Vaccine Education Center, they have an amazing resource that takes a look at each vaccine. And on the page, it's really called a look at each vaccine. And lastly, your local friendly doctor. Um, we are here and always looking for ways to support our members, to answer any questions. Um, we are always just an email away if there are things that you wanna talk through with us or if we can help you problem solve or if you need additional information, that's what we're here to provide. And we'll be including the resources that you mentioned, as well as some other resources around vaccination for kids between six months and five years in the description for this episode. Well, thank you, Dr. Dixon, for joining us today. And thank you for listening. We hope you check back in with us for future episodes on wellness topics and specials covering specific areas of health. This has been Talking for the Health of It. And we'll talk to you next time.